It's the same old story. It's been a long day at the job, or maybe it's just starting to feel long, and you feel that urge to stretch your legs and get a little bit of a break. You walk down the street, or maybe you get behind the wheel of your car, and you feel the weight begin to lift. You walk through the doors, and the sound of the place starts to clear the air. You get a table, you order your drink, you listen to the sounds of the bar, and soak in the conversation. Welcome to the TNE Speakeasy with your hosts, Caleb and Eric. Listen in as they discuss a variety of topics, such as Citizen Kane, Doctor Who, and Dune. Have you seen Ghostbusters Afterlife? I'm going to go see that tomorrow. No. Are you going to see it tomorrow? Yeah. Yeah, I hope it's good. I mean, the trios for that don't look good either, but... Eh. I hear it's okay. I hear it's okay. It's better than the, the girl version. Yeah, not a high bar. Hopefully it'll be better than Ghostbusters 2. Ghostbusters 2 is pretty bad, too. I would guess it's better than Ghostbusters 2. I don't know. I was going to see it. It's not like a, it's not like priority for me though. Mm. Yeah, fair enough. Well, also because I have to, my current living situation, I have to drive far for a movie, so it's gotta be a little bit worth it. Mm. Yeah, I live like ten minutes away, so I go see like two movies a week usually. I once or twice considered getting an apartment across the street from a movie theater because oh man, if I did that, I would absolutely go to the the movies at least once a week at least mm. but i could see myself going more than once a week if it was literally across the street oh by the way because i was just thinking about movies i saw this year and i went to go see citizen kane oh you just got that 4k how'd that look um interesting uh, have you seen it before Ah, uh, yes so first of all i haven't even watched it ever since since i rented it on vhs obviously years ago probably the middle 90s is when i rented it um and saw it um it's interesting on 4k so i've never seen it on dvd or blu-ray or anything i don't have anything to compare it to but except other movies on 4k and it's not one of those movies that looks pristine um it doesn't look bad it's just there's some movies like uh casablanca for instance it it's mm. perfect um, and there's certain uh, Wizard of Oz, Gone with the Wind, uh, certain other ones that are that old but just look perfect. Uh, and those those ones are it's they almost look too perfect because <laughs> it, it 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 like confuses your brain because it makes it almost think like it's a brand new production or something. Um, yeah, I heard people saying that Citizen Kane is not, pr- huh? Oh, I heard people saying that recently about the Ten Commandments. Oh, that's interesting. I'm curious to get that 4K. Um, it, but I mean, it looks really, really good. Um, in a, oh, it sounds weird. In a way, it looks like a good Blu-ray to me, rather than a good uh, 4K. I can tell. Obviously, it's been restored pretty well. But I guess, I guess the reason it doesn't look 
as good as some of those other classics is because I don't think I don't think they had I think those other classics had better source material, if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. I think that's why those ones come off as more perfect with their restorations. I think Citizen Kane, they must have always been working off of some semi-rough cuts. Yeah. So there's only so much you can do. Um, but it looks pretty good. Uh, if you saw that article I tweeted, there's, there's an issue with the Blu-ray release. But... Oh yeah, I've seen that all over my Twitter. Yeah, people going crazy, and I'm like, really? It's just a Blu-ray. Like, come on. <laughs> yeah, but you know what? I think I am gonna go through the trouble of mailing it in just for the hell of it, even though I will probably never um, play that version of the movie. Yeah, I mean, I guess if you paid the full price for it, it's kind of like, hey, yeah, I might as well get the the full thing. Yeah, but no, it's really good. And I, well, I've only seen about one third of the movie so far um but i did have a thought about it it isn't really it's not really that interesting but because i know me and sean do this thing a lot i don't know if you do it uh in your head like do you ever do that thing where you go like oh this movie's from the 80s and it take it takes place in the 50s and that's a 30-year difference. Um, so that'd be like watching... So watching a movie in 2020 that, that took place in 1990. Or you know what I'm saying? Do you mean like try to put yourself in the time or just think about the, the time frame in the movie? I'm, I'm not quite sure you mean. Put yourself in like the time like... Like uh, like it's crazy. Well, you haven't seen Days of Confused, but still... Like, Days of Confused came out, like, in 1990 or something like that. 91. And the events of the movie take place in 78 or 79. Mm-hmm. And it's weird because, like, I saw the movie when it came out in high school. When I when I was in high school is when the movie came out, Days of Confused. And when you watch it, because the kids are obviously in 78, like, it obviously feels like a different time. Like, you know, high school. You know, I was like, Wow. Because, you know, the styles, the clothes, and everything, the cars, it's like, wow, this is so different. But, in reality, it was only like 13 or 14 years away, you know what I mean? <laughs> mm-hmm. In time. And so you'd be like, but that doesn't happen when you watch, um, let's see, so we're in 2021, so if you watch a high school movie from 2008 or something, yes, it's different, like high school then versus whatever high school is now but it doesn't it doesn't like completely like blow you away you know what i mean mm. like and like let's say they play songs in the movie from circa 2008 yeah those songs are old but they don't sound like old old do you know what i mean yeah like completely different eras yeah 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 and and so days confused is just weird like that cuz it feels like it takes place 30 years prior, but it was literally only like 13 or 14 years. It's actually so close, but it feels far, far away. Um, and I don't know. There's that. And I always think about like this actor was this old then or this old now, or I think I mentioned it when we were talking about something uh, recently. And I said like so whatever events were happening in living memory or something like about Westerns or something. Oh yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. 
that a lot and of the so, older folks would have been around back then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so, like, the last time I was talking to Sean, the subject of Forrest Gump came up again, because for some reason I consider that my Thanksgiving movie to watch on things, even though I haven't watched it this year. But I consider that, like, my Thanksgiving movie. And I just love that movie. I can watch it anytime. Um, anyway, so I was just talking about the, that with him recently and so i was watching citizen kane the other day and i started doing the math and like if forrest gump was a real character like his age right now in 2021 if he was still alive the fictional character he would be the same age of the fictional character kane can't remember his first name um, Charles Foster. Charles Foster Kane. So, Charles Kane, the fictional character, if he was alive in 1941 when the movie came out, his age then would have been about the same as what Forrest Gump's age would be now. The reason I because I was trying to imagine because whenever he, whenever I think about Forrest Gump, it's weird because, you know, he experienced the 50s and Elvis Presley and Vietnam War and um the 80s you know and all that stuff and it's just weird i always like think about like the things a person experiences in their life if they have like a long life so i was like thinking about citizen kane and when his his character was fictionally born i think in 1862 and he'd be like 81 or something or 80 or whatever in 1941 when the movie came out so i was just thinking like all the eras and times that he passed through and they talk about the spanish american war a lot in the movie and and of course there's world war one and they're on the cusp of world war two i don't know i just think about how much time passes like during a person's lifetime and all the eras they pass through and i don't know i don't know well, i don't know what it means it's just a weird thing for me to think about and me and sean he, he thinks about these kinds of things too like i mean independently of me I don't know what it means, but I can't stop thinking about it. Yeah, I think that's one of the great things about Citizen Kane is yes, seeing like the entire span of this guy's life, all the different, the different people that he is throughout the different eras, and yeah, that's super cool. I love that movie. It was so great seeing in the theater. Oh man, and it was only me and my girlfriend and one like elderly woman. <laughs> that was it. Only the three of us. I was like, oh, this is. I can imagine bad. that would be a good one to see in the theater, and I also think. What's his name? Um, I always forget his name. Orson um, Welles. Orson Welles. Uh, I also think he was like amazingly handsome as a young man. Hmm. Um, I know he made a lot of movies anyway, but I'm surprised he didn't make more movies and more famous and renowned movies than he did. Oh, Hollywood hated him. <laughs> That's why. And despised him. And then when they age him up in the movie, I feel like that really looks like him aged up. I mean, like the man he turned out to be, mm. um, except for like maybe weight, but yeah, <laughs> but it just looks like him. Because I always remark in the TOS episode, the one where Kirk, Spock, and McCoy get really old, <laughs> like old Kirk does not look like true old William Shatner. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like they got that way wrong. <laughs> 
Because he, he's never turned into that old man. Like, he's 90 now. He still doesn't look like that old man. Yeah, it's crazy. <laughs> it is crazy. That's crazy. 90 years old. <laughs> but, uh, and that's another one who's been through all that stuff. And, like, you know, every time they interview him, of course, they talk about Star Trek. And maybe they talk about TJ Hooker or something. Like, nobody ever mentions how he did the stuff before Star Trek, like Twilight Zone and stuff. Hmm. Um. Uh, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, I don't know what this is about. <laughs> um. God, there's a lot of things to watch. I'm watching the Cowboy Bebop live action. I'm enjoying it. Um. You know, I watched the season premiere of Discovery, and mm-hmm. that's something to talk about. Um. What else? Uh, well, if you guys want to do an RBG, just send it over to me. I'll edit it for you. Uh, yeah, no, no discussion has taken place as of yet. Um, the Disney Plus series that I've been anticipating, uh, Hawkeye came out, and I watched those first two episodes, and I quite like that too. Um, there's just too much shit to watch right now, and I know there's some other shows that are about to drop that I'm interested in. This way too much going on and i haven't kept up with any of it i've just been i made a giant criterion channel list and so i've been making my way my way through that (laughs) that is crazy um yeah i'm trying to decide which set i want to buy because i always make a bunch of purchases this time of year especially because a lot of stuff's on sale Mm. on physical media so I'm going to buy the Woody Allen box set that just came out. Um, I haven't seen any of those movies. Um, I didn't even know they, about that. They, I didn't know either until Sean told me about it. It only covers his movies from like 94 to 2002. But I haven't seen a single one. So they'll all be new to me. Yeah, I was going to say gag, but that's not fair. I haven't seen them either. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and supposedly this is an interesting period of his career, but I wouldn't know. Uh, Sean says so, but um, so I want to get that box set, but then uh, there's two Criterion box sets I'm looking at. One is the Once Upon a Time in China box set that just came out, and then there's this other one that's this other some famous Chinese director. I don't really know him personally, but he made the movie Chuking Express or something like that. Chu King Express, oh. and I've always heard of it as an individual Criterion title. I've always wanted to see it. I don't know much about it, but this is how I will do this. I will buy these things like on a whim. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, that's sort of how I did the Berman set originally. So I think I might get that set on on that Chinese director whose name I don't even know. But as I was deciding between that and Once Upon a Time in China, because I've seen the original Once Upon a Time in China. That's those movies are like atypical Criterion releases, meaning like I get the original Godzilla movie, but the other Godzilla movies, those are atypical Criterion. You know what I mean? Yeah, like Multiple Maniacs. <laughs> Sorta, yeah. Uh, well, Once Upon a Time in China, that series seems atypical because some of those movies seem kind of schlocky. Mm. Not that there's anything wrong with it. It's just weird to get like a box set like that 
Yeah, like I always find it strange that uh, somehow I have a, a criterion of scanners. I'm like, of all the Cronenberg movies to pick scanners, I mean, I quite like scanners, but that does not seem criterion worthy. But, but I mean, maybe there's more to it that I'm that I'm missing, and I just see it as kind of a fun, schlocky movie. But yeah, and so you never know. I'll probably buy Mulholland Drive as well, Criterion. Oh yeah, they got the 4K coming out. I've got my old Blu-ray. I was thinking about replacing it. That was actually the first 4K that was released. That actually came out last week. Oh. And then Citizen Kane came out this week. Hmm. So technically, Mulholland Drive was the first ever, and then Citizen Kane was number two. Oh, it's funny. I got them reversed. I thought Citizen Kane, Kane was coming first. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, the Blu-ray still looks pretty good. I don't, I don't know. I might not replace it, but yeah, we'll see. Well, of course, there's the special features, which I have not even touched yet. And there's a lot of shit. Because it's a, it's a four-disc set, by the way. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah, I know. Oh, huh? for uh, Mulholland Drive. Citizen Kane. Oh, okay. Because you got the Blu-ray version of the movie. I mean, sorry. The 4K. And all it has is the movie, and it has, like, three different commentaries. That's all that's on that disc. Then you have the 4K movie disc, which has a bunch of special features on it. And then you have two uh, additional discs dedicated just to special features. So it's a, it's a lot of it. And I, there was some documentary that was like an hour or something, and there's oh, a lot man. of shit on there. Yeah, I might pick that up just for all that stuff, because I was doing a Orson Welles retrospective. I've kind of fallen off of it lately. Now it's like I watch one like every three months, but some of those movies are a little too dry for me, especially as Shakespeare stuff. I'm not a big Shakespeare fan, so. <laughs> I told you he did a movie called, um, it's in that BBS box set, uh, I think it's called Safe Place or something like that. It's a Jack Nicholson movie. Um, but Orson Welles just has like a weird cameo in the movie. I don't even think he speaks in the movie. But he just has this bizarre cameo. And if it's like so out of left field. Yeah, he got real weird late in later years. I guess Hollywood just made him super bitter. But... And then of course he famously did the voice for Unicron in the Transformers movie. <laughs> um, oh yeah. That's like his last role, uh, I think, of his life. And if I remember correctly, so Leonard Nimoy, you know, does a voice in the movie as well. Mm-hmm. And I think Leonard Nimoy comes back to do a Transformer voice in the second Transformer movie. I can't remember if it was the second or the third live-action Transformer movie that Nimoy does a voice. And they even had a couple little references like to Star Trek and stuff in, in whatever movie he was in. Yeah, I feel like maybe that was Revenge of the Fallen. But yeah, I, I don't, I I don't remember for sure. I don't know. It's interesting, even though it doesn't really mean anything. <laughs> all that stuff oh my Wells retrospective is only for his uh, directed efforts I was like ah oh, he's he's done too much to do the acting stuff I'll just whatever he's directed I'll watch um, but we'll set up it's like the old galley days recording commentaries <laughs> something like that except my stuff is a lot better now not that it was bad then but... yeah I enjoyed those commentaries and random people would come like filter in didn't uh, what was her name again from um is it daphne ashbrook was yes it? Mm -hmm. yeah that, that was cool i think that was her name i never i never watched that tv movie i'm not a fan of it so i i forget about her but 
She's so nice in real life. And she's one of the people that she kind of reminds me of British actor, actresses, some of them. Hmm. Which is, what I mean is, she, like, if you just met her, you would never think she's an actress. You would just think she was just a regular lady. Uh, and at the time, she must have been, like, in her late 40s. I mean, a galley. She just seemed like a regular American lady in her late 40s. Not connected to show business in any possible way. Even though she had a decent career, like, in television and stuff, um, besides Doctor Who, she just seemed like just an everyday, quote-unquote, boring person. She's not boring, but, I mean, there's nothing Hollywood or exciting about her in any way. Oh, that's nice to see. A little more down-to-earth. She was super cool. Um, yeah, I don't know. She's one of the ones I got to, I got to be a little bit close to in person. Her and uh, Dabo Girl from DS9 um, Chase Masterson um, got to know her a little bit uh, at a couple of the galleys now she's a whole different type of personality she's a little bit weird but uh, oh okay her mm. yeah she worked at Quarks oh, do you have anything more about the French Dispatch? Uh, no it's like I said, I gotta rewatch it more. And like I said, it, it was my least liked uh, Wes Anderson movie upon first watch. Okay, maybe Bottle Rocket. I wasn't so hot on the very first time I watched it. But um, but like I said, I think it'll grow in, in esteem um, when I get to rewatch it and really get to break it down and really get to understand like the hidden jokes and hidden humor that I didn't pick up on first watch. So yeah, yeah. If there's one thing I can say about it, I love the music. I think the music for each individual story really stands out, and it's been stuck in my head for days at this point. That's, so. that's a damn displot. I mean, displot's good. <laughs> I don't know what to say? I don't know what to say. But uh, oh, and uh, that that Bond actress. I was shocked to see her nude, but I was not complaining. Um, I was only shocked to see her nude. <laughs> Because Wes Anderson hasn't really gone there yet so much. But, I mean, come on. Mm. She was in Blue is the Warmest Color. And and you can't... Oh, oh I never saw that. You can't get more nude than that. Oh, other than doing a, an actual porno movie. That's the only way you can get more nude um, than she got in mm. that movie. Oh, cool. Definitely adding that to the list. Oh, yeah. That was like my... That was like my fourth Criterion purchase or something. Absolutely adding that to the list right now because she was, uh, I mean, I always liked her in Bond. I know some people complain about her for whatever reason, but I, I think she works absolutely. Um, I didn't like her because didn't she, wasn't she like the girl in like a Mission Impossible movie, like Mission Impossible 4 or something? Uh, no, I, I, don't, I don't think she was in any of those. I could have sworn she was. Um, she she may I know she was in another Wes Anderson film. I think it was uh, the, the the Grand Budapest Hotel. Ooh, I think she, she was in. That? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> I just remember seeing her in it. Yeah, because I remember when I saw um when I saw uh Spectre, 
I was like, hey, isn't that girl from that movie? But I, I haven't seen the Grand Budapest Hotel in a few years. Uh, Rowan is the is the main is the main young girl in that movie. If she was in that movie, she had a small part or something. Yeah, I don't think it was a big role, no. Um, but I remember that's what I knew her from when I saw uh, Spectre. Leia Sado was in uh, Mission Impossible um, Ghost Protocol. I can't remember. Oh, that was the fourth one. And uh, and she was fine in that movie. Yeah. And so, but see, but then when Bond got her, like I didn't like the idea that she had already been in Mission Impossible, and then she was being cast in the Bond movie. Um, but I will say I did warm up to her, even though she's not that much in the movie. Even though she's a cold fish, I, I did like her in No Time to Die. I liked her more than I did before. Yeah. Um, Definitely. Uh, but well, because in the Craig era, I was always like, why is he? attracted to the stereotypical european girls but yet he's like surrounded by all these like hot latina uh italian girls and but he doesn't end up with any of them uh he just goes over the stereotypical european one but no no she's fine um and yeah yeah he's got his type yeah i guess and then yeah seeing her all naked in wes anderson's movie yeah it was cool i just wish those scenes were in color um in the movie Ooh, yeah, see, uh, this, I went to go see the first one with this girl I'm seeing, and she complained the whole time about, like, what's going on with the black and white? Like, at first I thought it was first some sort of stylistic purpose. These are the scenes that aren't part of the article, that are just, like, the actual story. But she was like, by the end, it didn't seem to make any sense. It was only just whenever he decided to make it non-color. And on a second viewing, I, I feel like she was kind of right. Like, I don't you feel like there was any purpose for the color changes there was some... like usually i feel like wes anderson has a very clear vision with what he's doing but i don't know maybe maybe i'm just missing it i think there was something i don't i don't i don't have the answer right now i've only seen it once but no there was something there was something there was something intentional i'll have to watch it again it wasn't for nothing I'm certain it wasn't for nothing. But I didn't mind the black and white. I, I I love black and white. I think it looks so pretty on, especially on a big screen. So no, I didn't mind it. I'm just talking about the nude scenes. No. <laughs> yeah, and by far that that uh, artist sequence is my favorite. But I think that stuff is some of, like that's some great Wes Anderson stuff. Um. But. Uh. I. <laughs> I like the joke when. The lady who narrates that one, when she accidentally puts the side of herself nude. See, I like I like I like stupid <laughs> gags like that. Um, that was funny, yeah, Tilda Swinton. But with the, I, I was kind of into the uh, the last one of the trio. Wait, was it the last one? Hmm. Yeah, the last the one. right one. Um, I was into it because uh, <laughs> when uh, when they're doing the chase. Uh, the car chase and then when it turns into animation mm. and how they go through all that sequence and then they get right back to where they were god damn that made me laugh Love even that. The, everyone laughed yeah the even theater. that stupid uh muscle yeah. man like got back in the car <laughs> <laughs> that was funny that was super fun um the the girl opposite of what's his name in the middle one the girl with the helmet the Vespa Vespa helmet. Yep. Oh God, she was just 
GD hot. I forget. Oh, what's her country of origin? It's something unexpected. Uh, no, I thought she was French. She is French, but she grew up in France. But that's not where she, she like immigrated when she was young. Uh, the actress or the character? No, the actress. Oh, I don't know then. Uh, what is it? French Dispatch. I mean, I gotta see. I can't remember. Her country. I want to say it's from something from the Middle East. Um, yeah, she was hot, but I mean, I I get what he's doing. Like I've seen some of those kind of French. New oh, wave. she's from uh, Algeria. Uh, originally, ethnically. Yeah, I, I feel like I've seen some of the French New Wave films that he's referencing. Mm-hmm. But it felt like such a hollow reference that I was like, is there a deeper meaning or is this only a reference to these old films? Uh... Like, I, I couldn't tell. <laughs> and to be fair, some of those French New Wave films, I also watched them and be like, is there any meaning? Or is this just a lazy filmmaker making a film? Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> but uh, I'm trying to think, what was the unifying theme between them all? It was about... Do you mean on the surface level, like the newspaper element? Oh, no, I mean like what binded those three stories together. I'm trying to remember. Um, hmm. Because there was something about the first being a commentary on art. Like, I mean, there was like a hidden message there. Um and what's valuable and what's not um and the second one was almost like a commentary on dune uh not dune but like like silly youth revolutions um i did like the part during the second segment uh um when they said that uh because that dude comes back he goes to the war and he comes back unexpectedly and and then and he oh, says yeah. like it was best explained in a um, in a stage production based on his memoir, and then it goes to the stage production and <laughs> there's a guy talking and he looks like a typical soldier and he's talking about I was shot in this country in the chest and I was shot here and I was shot there and you thought you think it's him, but it turns out that's not even him. That's just like their like mm-hmm. drill instructor person or whatever their sergeant. It's not actually him. He's another guy in a bunk. And then when all the random guys in the play in their bunks, when they all started talking, I was telling my friend, they were like all kids from Gryffindor or something. Like the way they sounded, they all sounded like they were kids from Hogwarts. And and the one kid sounded like Harry Potter, Daniel Radcliffe. And I don't know, I found that all very amusing. Um, Yeah, and the the kid who committed suicide was in the show... uh... The fucking end of the world on netflix here watch that show the what the world it's oh called the fucking end of the world yes yes i did watch that show that show's fantastic and there was an yep. american version on youtube red what uh which i also thought was really really good very similar and different at the same time yeah i'm looking this up but i don't i don't see it the american version or the end of the fucking world. That's it. American version. Yeah, so I was happy to see that guy. I was like, hey, my buddy. Popping up in a Wes Anderson film. I forgot that's what he was from. I, I recognized him, but I couldn't remember. It's called Wayne. Weird. Very sad. It only has one season. But uh, it's really good. I mean, just like End of the Fucking World. It's really good just like that. Hmm. Oh, but yeah, definitely definitely a little bit of a disappointment. I mean, I liked it a lot in the first viewing. The second viewing... 
I really did think that the pacing was a big problem for the movie. Like, especially when we get to the... Like, I agree that the last story is kind of fun with Jeffrey Wright. And there's a lot of cool moments in that end story. But at that point in the movie, I could really tell that the audience was kind of like, okay, like, we're, we're still going. Yeah. We reset to a new story, and it's still the same quirky style, but we're kind of tired of it. Like, I could feel that in the audience. I felt the same way, I mean, in myself. Um, but uh, I really do think... It's a good comparison to call it um, uh, Wes Anderson's Tenet. I think there's a lot of app comparison to that. Um, and oh man, I really enjoy watching videos on YouTube that that defend Tenet or say why it's good, um, regardless of if, if it, of, if, of it, it. Oh Jesus! Regardless of if it is your favorite Nolan movie or not. Um, uh, I think people don't get it. Uh, what what the actual purpose of the movie is? I, I just love it. those those videos that defend it. Usually do it pretty well, in my opinion. But then again, I'm a I'm a proponent of that movie. Uh, yeah, and, and I gotta watch it again. The first thing I really really liked it, even though I could tell I was clearly missing elements of it. I was still like, no, just in terms of the filmmaking. I mean, this is some spectacular stuff. I, 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 and it just completely sucks you in. Like it's just great in in terms of a kind of roller coaster. I'm fine ride. if it's all just about the vibe and the this and that. But also the whole thing is just about these double pincers. And there's three double pincers, and like it's just like watching. Um, I always compare it to a timepiece, uh, or what are those machines called? Um, th there's a name for them. The ones where you like pull the string and the marble falls and knocks over the fan and like hits the domino and oh you know, Rube, Rube Goldberg machine yes exactly just like how just like watching one of those things operate um, that's how I feel Tenet is as a movie it's you're just watching this device this very intricate device with lots of knobs and levers and gears and springs and. The whole movie is this massive device that's been put together, um, and it's and it's just like you, you just it's it's just running, and you're just seeing how all the gears fit, and it's like a perpetual motion machine, and it's just an art piece just to look at. You're not really supposed to necessarily care about the story or the individual um, plights of the characters. It's just it's just this like full motion live action puzzle. That's just continuously going. That's that's how I see the movie, and obviously that's a stretch for audiences to to look at something like a movie like that. Yeah, and it feels Tenet for me feels similar to something like Dark Knight Rises. And again, I've only seen it once, so I can't fully judge whether it works completely as a plot. But I just feel like it's more about the general vibe and kind of what it's supposed to be saying to you, rather than does it all fully work as a narrative. But again, I haven't seen it. I've only seen it the one time, so I can't fully judge that regard. Tenet? Tenet You've only yet. seen it once? Oh, God. That was, like, again, like French Dispatch. That was too much for me to take take in in one viewing. Like, to fully, like, wrap my head around it. It's way too much. Yeah, and I'm, I'm still assuming there's bits that I missed, but I, it was still enough of a kind of ride that I can go with it enough that I really enjoyed it. Um... It's just, just another 
one of those just like amazing movie experiences uh, for me. Yeah, I've never really thought about it, but I kind of wonder if maybe the reason I've never watched Tenet again is I'm worried it's not going to hold up as well in the second viewing the same way the French Dispatch did. Uh, Tenet holds up for me every watch. And Dunkirk was another one that I saw it the first time. And I... Yes, I got the vis- the visceralness of it, you know, in the in the loud scenes or the intense scenes, but as an overall movie, it didn't gel for me or vibe for me at first. I had to rewatch it to like, but see, I'm okay with that because, like I always said, that's kind of not exactly, but almost how it was with me with most of the Kubrick movies. The first time I saw them, there's almost no Kubrick movies that I appreciated the first time except for. Something like Full Metal Jacket and Shining, which I appreciated the first time. Uh, and I guess you could say 2001. But most all his other movies, I had to rewatch and rewatch and for them to like open up to me. Um, and uh, yeah, and yeah, and I think French Dispatch will be the same. But I'm looking forward to this Asteroid City, whatever the hell this is. And I'm glad it comes out just in next year. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm definitely curious to see what it's going to be. I mean, Asteroid City, that does sound science fiction, but I guess who knows. I keep saying I want I want to see Wes Anderson do like either a, a real a sci-fi thing, like outer space, um, or an actual horror. Um, and the same thing with Tarantino. I want to see him do an actual sci-fi movie or an actual horror movie. Um whatever a person can dream yeah who knows where Tarantino's gonna go he says he only has (laughs) one more movie and that's it I don't believe it I don't fucking believe it yeah maybe he'll go to TV I mean he wrote that book maybe he'll uh he'll keep writing more books that'd be fun but like damn Bergman that dude what his last movie came out like in what sometime in the 80s and he didn't make another movie again until 2003 I mean, that's pretty crazy. Um, so you never know. I'm going to see Eternals tomorrow. Uh, even though it has a... It's the worst It's the worst reviewed movie of the MCU ever. But we'll see what that means. Um, uh, when Jody Who started and, you know, was getting bad reviews by people, certain people... Uh, Josh turned me on to this uh, YouTube critic slash channel called uh, Nerdrotic because mm. have you seen him before? Yep, before even Jody Who. <laughs> have you seen him talk about Doctor Who before, or especially the Jody? Yeah, and how he savages it. <laughs> I find it entertaining usually uh, when he does. Uh, I find it entertaining when he does it to, to comic book movies, even if I don't always agree. I still find it entertaining. But I really like this episode that he did recently on that first episode of, of, uh, of, of, whatever the flux thing, because uh, yeah, I don't know, I found it very entertaining the way he ripped it to shreds. But you know, I don't know, I don't know. Well, I mean, he he also ripped the the Moffat stuff apart too in the end. Yeah. I mean, he was also attacking Moffat for being social justice warrior. Yeah, he was. Until uh, I, I think to, that's... to a whole other level. 
but I will. I think that's a pretty empty criticism. I mean, I I don't think that's the real problem. I think the real problem is just terrible scripting, and not understanding the material, which is the problem with all. For Moffat, I don't think it was the real problem. For Moffat, I don't think it was the real problem. Um, I think it's I think it's been the problem with all the new Who writers not understanding the material. That's a separate conversation, but I do think there is something to the social justice wokeness. There is absolutely something about it. Uh, in the Chibnall era in particular. Well, it was also all over uh, Moffat Who as well, but especially in the later years. No, but it was different. It was different. It was different, and it was also a different form of it under RTD. Yeah, I think if wokeness as a term existed in the RTD era, they would have labeled RTD Doctor Who as woke as well. Yeah, but, but see, but that's the thing. Woke actually does, at least in modern parlance, mean something different, which I don't think actually applies to rtd i think it's relatable but it's different because rtd was just being more standard progressive uh uh if you want um or what would have been called liberal at the time that that word continues to change meaning over the, the different decades but it would have been considered liberal or progressive at the time the rtd stuff but woke and social justice it it's it's a um it's a weaponized version to me of that standard liberal progressiveness um and i you're right in terms of 2005 it would be called woke um social justice but that was before those words became pejoratives um because that's i think they're much more pejoratives now uh um and it was fine, like, I guess what the RTD stuff was doing, what he was doing. And then Moffat, he was doing it because I don't think it was his natural way, but he was appeasing those crowds. But Chibnall, it's it's him all the way, I guess, or at least what he's pushing. And I have to say, because they've been doing this throughout the whole, since 2005 they've been doing this. They did it with Mickey and Rose, which, okay. So in 2005, when they made Rose, you know, a regular um white chavy girl in london and then she has her chavy black boyfriend that was fine in 2005 when you made moves like that but my god i i'm not gonna lie in the latest episode um the chick who was like the sister or whatever and there i don't remember where they were where they were in the arctic circle and you know that couple that was living in the Arctic Circle? No. No clue what you mean. <laughs> is this in... In the Flux. Revolution? No, this the... is the newest episode. Flux? Wow, I don't even remember that. Yes, you do. Because <laughs> because whoever this weird, shady skeleton villain is, he goes and finds his sister or whatever she is, and she's in disguise as like a human. And then he brings her out. I don't, I don't remember. I remember that she showed up, but I don't remember the context of how she showed up. Okay. <laughs> oh. Well, how it started was... I was drunk when I watched it, by the way. There's this there's this couple, and they're living in this little cabin, and it looks like somewhere way up north, and it says, like, Arctic Circle. Uh, and they're living in this little house cabin thing, completely isolate, isolated and desolate in the Arctic Circle. And you see her first, and she's like, 
you know, like asleep, lying down, and she's a woman of color, and she's calling to her partner. She's like, uh, Josh, I don't remember his name. Josh, you know, and then it's, I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Okay, woman of color with a white, pasty white guy. Like, it made sense when they did it with Rose and Mickey in 2005. But now that they have done it for virtually every human couple, the only exception was um, Martha, who both her parents were black. But of course they separate, right? And then one ends up with someone who's white. But anyway, it's okay when you did it with Mickey and Rose because it's real. There are multiracial couples. We all get it. But when 100% of your couples in Doctor Who are multiracial, that's the part where I'm out. You, you can't have... And I know it's not literally 100%. But it practically is 100%. Um, and that's where I'm just like, no, nah, man. like that. Don't you realize that that's tired now? And... Uh, I don't know. It, it bothered me to see it for the thousandth time in this newest episode. Because we get it. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I, I find it obnoxious when I see uh, the doctor just claiming that she met all these people that she never met, <laughs> or the doctor uh, claiming that he slept with all these people he never met. I mean, that's the stuff that I just go, "That's not Doctor Who." What is this weird show I'm watching? But do you wait? But do you think that in the lore of the show that those things never happened? Yes, I no, I I think that in the lore of New Who they happened, but New Who for me is not real doctor who it's just a spin-off show that's <laughs> not really uh, real to canon. me it is real doctor who it is canon and i guess that stuff happened it's it's ridiculous it's over the top but it's and it, just like for me the doctor was never half human on his mother's side there was never the mom in the end of time he never slept with the virgin queen none of that stuff's real Doctor Who for me, that's just fanfic Doctor Who. There was never any John Hurt Doctor, that's just complete fanfic. I mean, I, I just can't accept a lot of that stuff as real. It just doesn't seem to connect to the classic series in any way to me. So, <laughs> I think that's that's always been my difference with it. But No, I am fine with most of the things you said. I don't like all of them, but... No, I believe there's a William Hurt Doctor, and it is hard to believe. But uh, but when they had that little connective piece, um, the one where you know that little thing that they released, that was um, the yep. Eighth Doctor, Night of the Doctor. Yeah, that that's good enough for me. I mean, once I see that little thing, I'm good. Yeah, I'll, I'll just say I I thought the Night of the Doctor was really cool, but it's still. I mean, it's it for me. It's just as in continuity as any random big finish story. Like it just it doesn't really feel because, like Doctor to me. You know, you can if you just look at the classic series on its own, you can find incongruous things like that, and it's like, yeah, whatever. You know, if you yeah, but but for me, the Doctor and the companions always feel the same. New Who, they always feel the same for New Who but they don't always feel the same for Classic Who, and that's why I can't connect the two. I guess, but that would be like saying 
you could never accept that like um that TNG takes place like in the same universe as TOS except that you have the weird like one off like not weird but like trouble of triples or whatever or time and tr- whatever it's called but i mean I, you could almost make the same argument with that and say that DS9 is too different from TOS uh, yeah, that, that's that's completely fair, but for whatever reason, I just don't <laughs> connect it in the same way with Star Trek. But part of it comes with Doctor Who's my, like, classic Doctor Who's my favorite show, just all around, so it's a little bit more... Like, I probably like TNG more than TOS, sure. so maybe that's why it doesn't bother me as much. Yeah, nothing wrong with that. But for, for me, like... 20 plus years i think it was 23 years of classic doctor who it all felt the same no matter what every generation that you go to you could feel the through line new doctor who i don't see almost any through line at all it feels like a completely new version of it and it just has never felt like the same no, show to I, me. I see a through line i see a through line even though it changed a lot even paul mcgann i don't accept which i feel like a lot of people who are kind of my vein still accept the palm again but oh fuck that that is not doctor who in the same way that from 1963 to 1989 doctor who is no that's something completely different i think (laughs) the only reason the classic is so similar to itself is because again it's literally just a a 23 year span which is now in retrospect a short period of time uh and the way i kind of connected it in my head once upon a time when I started watching Red Dwarf, um, I started watching it mm. like around 2009 or something, 2008. Uh, I binged like the original six seasons or whatever. And you know that show was produced like, you know, starting like in the early 90s and throughout the 90s. And yeah, 80s. 80s yeah, and production value wise and writing wise, even though Red Dwarf is a separate thing. Um, obviously I in my mind I could imagine how the style of Doctor Who would have morphed had it not ended had it <laughs> continued like I can imagine what the production values mm-hmm. how they would have gradually you know changed and improved over the 90s going into the early 2000s and seeing Red Dwarf helped me imagine it in my head and then I can kind of fit the the eighth doctor's movie like somewhere in the middle and i i see it through i really think that stylistically the doctor movie is a weird bridge from the classic series to 2005 i i i can my mind can fill in the the blanks and i can imagine how it could morph from that to that makes sense to me yeah i i i just I get what you're saying in that regard. Like, I definitely see that Red Dwarf, it's kind of like the... Like, almost like a sister series to Doctor Who, in a way. Like there's a lot of connections. But, mm-hmm. no, I just... I can't connect. I mean, one, the Doctor having relationships with the companions. That's just not Doctor Who to me. I just... I don't see it. But building in, like, the weird half-human thing. And the obsession with Earth. Again, the half-human thing is nearly here nor there. You could probably explain it away as saying he was saying something else than what you thought he was saying. 
Um, but the obsession with Earth, I mean, that's that's all of New Who. I mean, this whole series, I'm assuming this whole series of uh, Doctor Who Series 13 is going to be focused on Earth. It's just like, fuck, is the Doctor a well, human? See, <laughs> like, what? why are you obsessed with Earth? I, I, don't, I don't really care for that either. I don't really care for that the emphasis on Earth <laughs> that's been throughout the new series. I don't really care for that. I don't... I don't like you said. Why does it always have to be? Why did all the companions have to be contemporary humans? And you no, know, I don't like any of that either. Um, it's not fresh at all. And then yes, Earth being in distress again, the way it is. And then like these dogs coming to save all the humans off the planet before the disaster comes. I hate this business of the Doctor is a person of the fourth dimension. How is the doctor so unaware of these major catastrophes that hit Earth? You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yep, makes no sense. It, it'd be like if the doctor was like in Rome and then Rome was falling, and the doctor's like, "What? What's happening? What is going on? Why is why is why is the you know why is the emperor being or not the emperor but the Caesar or whatever being overthrown? Like, I never saw this coming. You know what I mean? It doesn't make any sense. How could yep. you not know? about like key moments in history or like oh my god who are these people invading mainland england what are, what are these viking people never saw this coming like what and again stephen moffat made his whole like, thing about the earth is protected by me like if you figured that was the case then the doctor would do their research <laughs> i mean <laughs> I, I hate all that yeah stuff. and then oh. sometimes they try to explain it like you know how this is a unique thing that's just happening now sometimes you can't explain it but yeah no it does it doesn't make sense um and and it also doesn't make sense that in new who they let the cat bat out of the bag multiple times already uh well since series two or even series one that aliens are definitely a thing you know england's almost been destroyed multiple times in new who yet somehow mm-hmm. humans once they just carry on like life is normal like like no one's like it's just like oh yeah whatever there's aliens who cares (laughs) and i really appreciated moffat doing the crack so it's kind of like oh that's why everyone's forgetting but then he fell down the same holes as rtd with the same kind of earth catastrophes Mm mm-hmm so I was like, oh, well, now it's just, I mean, what, what are we doing here at this point? <laughs> I thought you were fixing that dumb problem. But. <laughs> yeah. I was just saying, but no, but. Uh, like I said earlier, New Doctor Who was definitely good. And, and the proof is in the pudding in as far as how popular it got. Doctor Who got popular in a way it yep. was never, ever, ever before. So it was very successful. Obviously. Yeah, and, and since Day of the Doctor, when everyone loved that, and I was the one, at least in my opinion, the one outsider was like, I don't, I mean, it's fine, but it's nowhere near as good as even, like, the three Doctors. Oh, my God. <laughs> I was kind of like, I was kind of like, that's it. You know, I'm just on the outside with this Doctor side of the community. So I just have to accept. Uh, I'm so done with the three Doctors. I'm so done with it because it, it always <laughs> plays on the Pluto Doctor Who channel, and so I cannot watch the Three Doctors again. It's... Oh, I admit the Three Doctors is not great. 
I just don't think the day of the doctor is great either. I think it's I think it's fine. No, I can excuse an episode if it has something really good in it, and just it's worth it to me just for the curator scene. That's it. That makes it all worth it. Hmm. Um, um, the I can't remember what it's called, but the last David Smith episode, David Smith, Matt Smith episode. It wasn't my favorite. It was oh. not my favorite. You know, Doctor Death uh, episode, and especially considering it's my favorite Doctor, but. Just for him to have like a, an imaginary moment with uh, with um, Amy again, that made it all worth it. It made it all it made it all worth it. Even though I didn't care for most of the rest of the episode, it made it all worth it for that. That's another thing that's driven me crazy with new Doctor Who. Every single Doctor Who regeneration or Doctor regeneration feels like it's like the the writer just jerking off into a, like a can and then throwing it onto the screen. Like the end of time, time of the Doctor, and then t- was it twice upon a time the Peter Capaldi one? I don't know. I, when it's all like, oh, like we have to just be kind to each other. Oh, and then they turn the t- first Doctor into like this misogynistic fuck, which he never was. God, that drove me crazy. <laughs> now I'm just reliving my my nightmares of watching these. <laughs> I thought it was fun. I mean, I like that. Time of the no, doc- the last Capaldi. I thought that was cool. That was a cool idea. I, I was uh... even though they like completely changed the character of the first Doctor. So I love William Hartnell. I thought it was really insulting to uh, turn into that caricature, misogynistic caricature. Wait, say that again. You thought it was insulting to turn him into a misogynistic caricature? What, like in that episode? In that episode, yeah. Okay. I don't know, I didn't have those strong thoughts. No, that's fair. I don't know. But at that point, I was really I was really frustrated with the, the show at that point. I mean, I guess I've been frustrated for years, but... <laughs> but yeah, I keep watching, so maybe it's my own. My yeah, own and fault. I will always keep watching myself, too, even though I can't stand it right now. And I imagine someday it'll come back. Right now, I can't imagine how that's going to happen. And when I mean come back, I mean like become popular yeah. again or well liked. I have no fucking clue how that will happen. Uh, maybe we'll have to have another hiatus. I mean, extended hiatus. Who knows? Yeah, when I when I saw the Timeless Children, that was the first time I've ever had the thought of Doctor Who needs to go on hiatus again. The Timeless Children was like I feel like it's broken beyond repair. Uh, but. But you say Thomas Children. You mean like the Thomas Child thing? Uh, I mean the episode, the Thomas Children. Which was uh, the final episode of uh, Series 12. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, I somewhat agree with that. Like, just like Star Trek had two hiatuses in its long history on television. Uh, yeah, I think yep. Doctor Who might require a second hiatus at some point. Yeah. But whatever. Oh, but yeah, RTD might bring it back. He's doing his whole MCU gig, so we'll see what happens there. <laughs> I think it'll be better than Miracle Day. Oh yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. After he got to see what everybody else has been doing, I think he's probably got some new, fresh ideas. But I don't know how. Yeah. Long. And I've heard that he's done some great television <laughs> since then. I've heard he's had some really really good reviews 
I've heard you've written some good poems. <laughs> I heard you know how to make good movies. Yeah. No, the way you said it sounds funny. Like, we're not even sure if he has or not. No, <laughs> oh, I, I mean, people say that his stuff on Doctor Who is great, and I don't think it was. So, I mean, I can't fully fully believe his uh, the people who praise him. Well, people say he was, he was the best era of Doctor Who. That, to me is like speaking a foreign language no i know i know people i know people i know people say that but i think it's because they're just remembering their happy place and that would explain it when they say things like that yeah but uh, who knows i mean i'll i'll keep watching i'll always watch i I will too i can't help myself but (laughs) yep sadly with with star trek i don't have the same connection so i was willing to give up with star trek discovery but with Doctor Who, unfortunately, I'm I'm all in, so I'm all in with both. And anyway, <sighs> Discovery has not even ne- been nearly that bad. Not Doctor Who is de- is definitely on a different level of bad. I think Neurotic is right because he talks about all the different things that have gone bad in the last five years or whatever, and he always says Doctor Who's the one that's imploded the most, and I think he's right about that. Wow. No, I, I think Star Trek's more betrayal, but... Because it's Star Trek, it's Star Wars, it's that... Um, what's the other ones that... Oh, people say the MCU, um, but... Yeah, come on, the MCU, really? Come on. <laughs> I don't see it there. Uh, not really, but who knows about this Eternals movie? Like, I'm, gonna, I'm supposed to see it tomorrow, or Saturday. Um... We'll see about that. Yeah, for me, I've, I've never cared as much about the woke complaints. That, to me, feels like the least of the problems with those shows. Oh, my gosh. No, it depends which one it is. Um, no, it is a problem, I think, in Captain Marvel, the movie. Um, yeah, I, I agree. But I also just think that was just... Like, I don't think that movie was terrible. I just think it was bland as fuck. And then the woke stuff was just annoying on top of a bland movie. But that didn't mean didn't mean the movie was terrible. It was just, you know, grading the woke stuff. I mean, it didn't mean that the movie was a you know a piece of crap like Ghost Rider. Um, there's good examples of movies that are that are not MCU, but well, like 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 the like the like the Ghostbusters movie with the chick, with the girls or the or the newer the newer Charlie Angels movie. Um. Yeah, I didn't see that one. <laughs> but I'm just saying, it's just... Uh, I know, I've seen really good critiques of these yeah. movies on YouTube. Uh, yeah, well... Opinions are like assholes, you know? Yeah, but... I just I just personally think that politics rarely ruin a movie. They just accentuate annoying movies. No, it's not, it's not politics in general, because... Because politics can make movies great when done right because i would say animal farm is politics done right um Hmm. or metropolis um or whatever or um what do you call it network uh is that what it's called oh i'll mention this too yeah yeah Yeah, network like the uh uh yes news uh yeah politics on its own is not bad but woke is it's not politics it's just um it's it's lame empty agenda it's something else if you're trying to say something yeah 
buzzwords. Have you ever seen uh, Death Wish, the 70s film? I only saw some of those things when I was younger, but I never like fully saw when those movies start to finish. Yeah, I love the first Death Wish. It's filled with like Republican talking points, but like the stupid ones where it's like they literally have scenes where they'll go through like um, like a rich party and they'll just be saying political talking points from the time. And it's like, oh, this would be annoying if I was in the 70s because it's like, oh, this is anything that I would hear in any dumb talk show. But the movie's still super entertaining, even if it's filled with buzz phrases. Like, it doesn't damage the movie necessarily. It just makes it kind of quaint. Yes, okay, there are some things like that that exist. You're right, there are some things like that. But And I, if, I, if I think long enough, there's probably one or two or three quote-unquote woke things out there that don't really bother me, despite their wokeness. But... But there's too many that are just the lazy kind uh, right now. And and, I keep thinking that Hollywood, quote-unquote, is going to round the corner on this. But but then it seems like they're not at the same time. (laughs) But... uh, yeah, and I'll agree it's it's absolutely lazy and it's obnoxious, but... What was the movie... It's never really enough to ruin something for me. What was the movie recently that did pretty good and wasn't woke in all the... Dune? Oh, yeah. Yeah, even though it had a, a couple little things, but, but that wasn't... I mean, some gender swap and whatever, but, I mean, that's not... Yeah, that's, that's old school. They've always done that kind of stuff. That's not the end of the world. Um, that, that, and there's also, well, is there ethnic, ethnicity swap in the, in the movie version or is there not? I'm not a hundred percent sure because they probably, no, they're, they're never really clear. Don't say specifically what people look like, like in the books, but, uh, yeah, it's never even explicitly clear that the Atreides are white. So, uh, Right, but they do have an origin, though. I mean, based on Old Earth. Um, yeah, and if anything, you can complain that the uh, the Fremen aren't Muslim enough, since they were the Zen Sunni travelers, which were Muslims originally. Um, so, but criticisms of the white savior trope. Oh my God! Get the fuck out of here! Completely incorrect. Yep. <laughs> oh, and then there was this some not popular reviewer i stumbled across her channel she had she's i'm gonna guess like 22 23 heavy heavy set african-american girl i'm sure she's a wonderful person in real life but i was watching her critique on dune and you know she self-admits i've never read the book i you know i'm not close to the source material and and she's like, well, I'm gonna talk about the 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 white savior trope, and and she says in her video, and before y'all message me, she's like, I already know who you are. She's like, yes, I I even though I haven't read the book, I've read some stuff, so I know that when you go further in the story, this is this is there's gonna be something about this is not about the the savior or the the white hero it's it's a critique on it she's like i know i've read that that's what it's really about but i can she says i can still only rate this one movie and this is the white savior thing 
But I like how Quinn pointed out in one of his tweets, I think, that fine if you're just rating it on this one movie. Yeah, it's fair enough. But who did he save? No, who did he save? Save nobody. If you just rate it on this one movie, all that's happened is that the white people have been saved by the Fremen. So, so, so yeah. you can't have it both ways. <laughs> like I'm judging it on this one movie. Okay, really? So then, where's the white savior shit? Because there's there's literally none. Um, in this one movie. Yeah, it is. It is unbelievably comical how long that trope has been attached to this series when it has no bearing at all it's like people just it's yeah it's it's completely comical but hopefully they'll get to do messiah and they'll prove those people wrong that's that's all i can hope for i guess but and yeah and uh no but i think the origin of the atreides family in the books um is that they're they're of greek greek descent and it's I don't think it's not explicitly said, but it's implied that the Harkonnen are Finnish, at least in at least in their name. Harkonnen. Yeah, Harkonnen. Yeah, well, I, I always whenever I hear Harkonnen, I'm like, no, it's Harkonnen. <laughs> it's my it's my Dune bias. Oh, I can't <laughs> pronounce the things right. I can only pronounce them like the the, the Michael Lynch way or David Lynch. Yeah. I I understand it's my own my own personal bias, but again, that's why I struggle with that movie. I find it so grating hearing all the wrong pronunciations, and they've still carried some of them into the new movie. But I mean, what what can you do? I mean, not everyone listens to uh, Frank Herbert's readings of Dune, so they can't uh, know exactly what he's how he wanted them to pronounce. But God, I just want to see. The shit that's further that oh man, I just I wanted to get hey, two years to the third or fourth movie. No, not no, not just the second part. No, I want to get into like the third book, the fourth book. Oh yeah. I want I wanna Yeah, God Emperor is my favorite. My absolute favorite. I wanna see this shit. And and like I wonder how different it would be or will be when we get to those points. Um yeah, there's a scene in Children of Dune that's so transcendent. It I had to read it over and over again the first time I read it. It blew my mind. And I was like, this is so cinematic the way it's written. Like, this would make a stellar movie. But I, I at the time, they hadn't announced that uh, Denis Villeneuve was doing it. So I was like, I guess we'll never see it. And but. Let me see if it... I wonder when the series is coming out now. The, uh, the Dune HBO Max series. Because maybe that'll satiate me for a while. I mean, I have no idea. What... Hey, you could always uh, read the book or listen to the audiobooks. There's some pretty great audiobooks for those ones. Yeah, I want to. I started reading Foundation, um, but uh, I don't know. I don't know. People are going crazy now, getting pissed at the show. Found people who are fans of the book are now going crazy, getting pissed at oh. the show. Oh, I didn't hear anything about that. That's too bad. I can't comment on that because I don't know. Because because in the beginning of the series, they're just like, okay, I see some deviations from the book, but it's okay. You know, it's fine. But I guess by the time you get to episode six, seven, I guess hardcore fans are like, oh no, like this is not the book anymore at all. There's no way. And, and they say now it's gone so far off 
track that they say there's no way to recover. Like, this is this is not the book or whatever. I don't know if that's true, but that's what all the hardcore fans are saying. Well, that's that's a shame to hear. I, I was gonna check that series out, but I oh, I still think it's a very damn interesting series. And I still think it's very worth checking out if you care about sci-fi at all. Just like The Expanse is a must-see, I would say for sci-fi television. Um, I would say Foundation is still kind of must-see. I have no idea where it's going, but uh, it's definitely the most expensive-looking sci-fi show there's been to date. Um, yeah, I really wanted to check out The Expanse because of uh, Thomas Jane, childhood crush on that guy. Thomas, oh, the, oh, the, exp- oh, god, yeah, um, that's the best space opera show for sure. Um, yeah, better than the OG uh, Battlestar, or uh, not OG, the remake Battlestar by Paul Chess. Yes, yes. Oh, okay. No, it is. It is because the, the flaw with the remake of Battlestar Galactica is the similar to the flaw of Lost, the series. Which is, they come out of the gate like gangbusters. And then they get to season two or three and then mm-hmm. they go, oh shit, what are we doing? Like, we don't have a plan for this. <laughs> like, we were just trying to make it past season two and now, what the fuck, where are we going? And that's the problem with both of those shows. Whereas... Since this is based off the novels, and the novels already exist, you know, or or this is like uh, Game of Thrones, like they're good when they have the the novels, but then when they run out of novel material, then they get lost. So, um, what you gonna call it? Uh, the Expanse is still fine because they're in novel territory, and the Expanse novel. I guess this is I don't know. I'm not a big science fiction reader. I mean, of novels, but it seems like the space the big space stuff in novels it's like they all build up upon their predecessors i guess i mean if you start with foundation mm-hmm. and then go to dune and then you get into stuff like ender's game which which borrows a lot um from like that stuff i just named plus like the arthur c clark stuff and ender's game kind of borrows from all of it and does its thing and then you get Expanse, which you can tell, like, oh, that's a little bit, like, from Dune, and that's a little bit from Foundation, that's a little bit... and it, But it but it works. It's just a little bit of it all mixed together. Mm-hmm.